Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. As usual, I'm excited every week for every guest, but for this guy, this one's going to be special because I can tell there's already going to be some really good stories. So today's guest played at Oak Ridge Secondary School in London, where he's part of one of the best high school rivalries in OFSA. He also played volleyball for Forest City. He was a second-team All-Canadian in the CIS and a two-time OUA first-team All-Star with the Western Mustangs. He played professional volleyball in Sweden. He's co- uh, currently coaching with Titans, and he's played most recently in the One Volleyball League. Please welcome to the show, Eric Simon. Eric, thanks for doing this, man. Well, I'm so glad to be here, Josh. You know, you know, I was the one messaging you back on like episode three to come on, so I'm glad I, my number was finally called today. I feel like you've been a part of the show for a while because you were one of the first guys to actually message us and figure out. Uh, I think you're a Google guy, and that's how we had to figure out how to get the show on that platform. So I think you're you're a day one guy for us. Yeah, I was. You know, like I uh, I have to commute downtown Toronto, and when I'm on the the train going down, I actually I, you know I'm not a huge music guy, so I loved listening to podcasts, and I really enjoyed listening to a lot of the different volleyball players and uh, coaches that you have on the show just talk about their experiences. So it was it was always been entertaining for me, and and now I actually. Now with COVID, I'm never uh, commuting, obviously, but I, I listen to it on my runs if I go uh, during lunchtime. So Amazing. I'd say I'm your number one fan. Got to be there. <laughs> Amazing, man. Good good to hear. So you and I were talking before the show, we need some more uh, London, Ontario representation. So I'm just curious with you being a volleyball guy through and through, what age do you remember starting to play volleyball? And were you ever uh, considering any other sports at a pretty high level? I mean, I started off playing like the soccer and the hockeys, and I, uh, I played like elementary school volleyball. My, my elementary school was, I guess, a pretty big volleyball school without me knowing it. It was, it was John Dearness, and I know there's been a lot of good players that have come through that school. But like all my friends at that point, uh, they were playing, and, and everyone signed up for like the grade seven team, grade eight team. So I did those, but I don't really consider that necessarily playing volleyball. It was just kind of everyone signed up for volleyball, everyone signed up for basketball. It wasn't until really like that grade nine year. And uh, it was actually funny because I I quit hockey just because I I hated the direction it was going, where it was just too many goons were just going around the ice trying to hurt people and fight people. And uh, and I remember my mom saying to me, well, I'm not going to let you do nothing all winter and get fat. So I'm putting you in volleyball. And I went to the four city tryouts and and made the C team at that year and just fell in love with it from uh, right from day one. Awesome. Yeah, I think London is a great sports community. So your your parents were right there that like there's an option to play any sport at a decent level there. So I'm glad you chose volleyball. And I'm just curious in the London area, how do you guys choose which school you're going to? Is it based on your address and what's closest to your region or how did you become an Oak Ridge guy? Yeah, for me, it was really just kind of uh, our school. There was really only two high schools that were close. There was uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, which was kind of the Catholic school. And then there was Oak Ridge was really the only one that was nearby. So almost everyone from our elementary school, if, if you were going the Catholic route, you went to STA, but everyone else went to Oak Ridge. So it was really um, that's kind of how it fell into place for me. And I think most of the high schools in London follow that now. There's obviously exceptions where if you're looking to take a specific course that one school doesn't offer, you're allowed to kind of go outside that zone. But for the most part, I think it's just based on geography. Nice, nice. I'm curious with Four City, you mentioned you're on the C team. So obviously that's that's a big club and London Fire is there now and I think the city's a little divided. But at that time, like that was the club and I think people would drive as far as like from Stratford or things like that, right? So remember the first team you're on, was it all London guys or was there maybe like Exeter, Stratford or anybody trying to make a commute because that's how, how big the catchment area was for Four City? No, I, like my entire time coming through, I think... The only, the furthest driving guy would have been Reed Hallpenny, who, start, who switched to our club in uh, 
in his grade 11 year, my grade 12 year, and, and he came in from Exeter. But I mean, like outside of that, there was really only like the next closest club that could actually offer really solid players would have been like Chatham. And, and they had such a strong club base, too, that they were pretty good at retaining all their players. I am interested to hear that you were on the C team because obviously you're a bigger dude and anyone who knows you now, very skilled. So what was your entry like into volleyball? Was it just fun learning the skills or what kind of drew you into it? Like obviously when the skills get good enough, volleyball is really fun, but picturing you on a C team as as young as grade nine, I I don't know. I just, I'm not connecting it right now. So what kind of got you hooked? Yeah, actually this C team would probably go down in history as the greatest C team of all time. Like there was myself, Sander Ratsap was on that team. Daryl Shank was on that team, uh, as well as a, a host of a bunch of other guys who had played university and clubs. So for me, it was like when I went to those tryouts, it was really I'm there to make like I was so excited just to make a team. And and it was like at that time, there wasn't a, a team for every age group like they were kind of groups. So you had your 14 and under 16 and under and 18 and under. So there was kind of that mix of two age groups that were there. So the A team was mostly the older guys, the B team was the really talented guys that were my age. And then there was the the leftovers that were on the C team. But uh, I, I was there and a lot of my f- my friends were on that C team. And we actually had Vaughn Peckham as our coach. So pretty good uh, coach to have as your first coach into volleyball. And he uh, his love for the game just fell onto most of us because a lot of us had very, very successful careers in volleyball. Amazing. Yeah, that's a name that doesn't get very many shout outs. But yeah, Vaughn and his wife, Jane, I think are responsible for a, a lot of people's volleyball careers in that London area, just getting people to fall in love with volleyball. So that's that's great. Do you have any cool Vaughn stories or anything about that team? Because I'm thinking, yeah, any team with you and Santa Ratzip on it, that's a solid team. Yeah, yeah, I mean, just to go back on Vaughn's impact on London, I remember one of our four city banquets, they, uh, I think Vaughn was getting recognized for some award, I can't remember what, but uh they said, okay, anyone who's been coached directly by Vaughn, please stand up. And, you know, quite a few of the people in the club stood up. And then they go, anyone who's been coached by one of these guys who's been coached by Vaughn, please stand up. And by that time, like literally the entire uh, the entire banquet hall was standing up. So like the, the impact he had on London was you, you can't even quantify it. Like it was ridiculous. So he uh, he was such a major player in that community and, and it fled downwards to everyone he had coached. But in terms of funny stories on that C team, um, I mean, at, at that point, I don't think we were like necessarily the team that took it super seriously. Like we were guys that we, we enjoyed having fun. We enjoyed hanging out with each other. And uh, I, I think, thank God, we were at the point in Peckham's career where he was starting to uh, take it a little less seriously because he, I think he was able to enjoy practice with us. But I, I would just remember like tournaments, we would be playing ball tag in the hall so just like throwing volleyballs at each other while a person's hit and i remember there was one or two gym doors that might have uh, had some glass broken on that um, <laughs> but uh yeah it wasn't until a couple years after that where everyone on that that uh, i played with was starting to take volleyball really seriously nice yeah before we really focus in on your club career i am interested just hearing about Oak Ridge because with me being a guy who played at Effie Medill and Wingham we were kind of in that Wassa region with you guys and then obviously when I started coaching at UCC like you, you can't go to Offsa and not run into Oak Ridge somehow some way with like even some more recent guys like Matt Wadsley was an Oak Ridge guy uh, David Doty and even some guys there now like that's always a solid volleyball school so what was it like playing there like obviously you getting into volleyball in a big way in grade nine like your skills would have grown but what was it like playing in that London league and, and facing good games? I think regularly just in your regular season schedule, but then adding all the tournaments you guys would go to. And then later on being at Offsa, like it just seems like a volleyball factory there. 
No, for sure. And and actually, funny enough, I'd never played high school in grade nine, so I uh, I didn't make the grade nine team. So uh, I didn't really start playing Oakridge until grade ten. And and obviously, like the rivalry with Saunders, it dated back to even our elementary days because there was a, a lot of the Saunders guys went to an elementary school called Westmount, and I remember we would play them in the finals of many of the tournaments, and uh, even ran into them at one point throughout the city championship i don't know if it was the finals or the semis or whatever but they were uh, an elementary school we ran into a ton and then all of a sudden a good chunk of their players are going to saunders and a good chunk of us are going to oakridge that like this rivalry just kind of lasted from grade seven right until grade 12 but playing against those guys in almost every tournament we went to and and even just the amount of talented players we had on our internal team where like the the internal practices and scrimmages we would have were competitive and they were more competitive than a lot of our league play games so and and i think like that's just so instrumental to the development because we're getting five days worth of competitive gameplay like drills versus other teams that might only have six strong players and they're relying on their league play games to get get that uh, get those reps in in those competitive games yeah, I know Saunders deserves a lot of credit towards uh, Rob Atkinson being a coach there. Who at Oak Ridge really has helped boost the the volleyball program from a coaching standpoint? Like, who was your coach for most of your high school career? So mine was a back and forth between Peter Gold, who's also a, a big coach in the Four City uh, in the Four City Club, and uh, Jamie Nielsen, who's kind of been the the men's senior head coach, I believe now for uh, pretty much since I think he was helping out when I was there and I think he's kind of maintained that senior team head coach role since I've left. And, and I know he's probably racked up a lot of offset medals because he started a, like an alumni Facebook group. And every time it's notifications are just like, Oh, the Oak Ridge won this tournament and Oak Ridge is going <laughs> off. So again, it, so a uh, ton of success there and it, it all stems. And even before that, the guy who started, who kind of built Oak Ridge with their first offset medals, Vaughn Peckham. Oh, so his name is is all over the volleyball scene in in London. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it is funny how much he's connected. Even just through this episode, I'm learning so much. So with the Oak Ridge Saunders rivalry, like, how did you like to view it? Like, was there like a, a friendly rivalry there that you used to get fired up for these matches? I'm sure as you got older in club, you'd be playing against some teammates who were the kind of the guy on the Saunders team. Like, was it an expectation to win cities every year? Were you guys more focused on OFSA? Like, how did you like to view the high school season with uh, a competitive program that you were part of? Yeah, I remember, like, it was not... Saunders was not a friendly rivalry when you were playing them. Like, when that game was up, it was like, at least from my point, it was like hatred. Like, it was hatred during that game. Maybe lingers for another day, depending on if you won or lost. And then <laughs> things kind of dropped. But, it, like, I remember a grade 11 year. The year before... Saunders senior team had uh, had medaled bronze at Offset, and we were always like, "Wow, like that is such an incredible accomplishment, man! Like I can't even imagine that." And at that point, Offset was a uh, a twenty team tournament, so because they had medaled last year, and two teams from Offset got to go this year, so I mean, we were pretty sure it was like, "Oh, it's going to be Oakridge and Saunders," and which one won cities versus which one got second was yet to be determined. But Saunders ended up beating us in the city finals. They had a super strong team that year. And and so we both went to OFSA. And actually, I remember in our pool play, we uh, we beat out uh, one of your previous guests, Andrew Hinchy and Barry Eastview. And, and I actually had uh, some souvenirs from that OFSA. And one of them was the uh, the pool play table that says who you beat and who you lost. And 
I still had that left over when I went to Western. I didn't even know Hinchy played on Barry Eastview. And sure enough, once I found that out, it's one of the posters I'm hanging in my room just to remind them. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so we're at that offset in grade 11. And, and I remember we were on like complete opposite sides of the draw. So we wouldn't have met each other until finals. And, and uh, we're playing our semifinal versus a, uh, I think it's Waterloo Collegiate. I just remember it was the, the school that Kyle Bryce went to. And, and we beat them in four sets. And then we, we hop over to the next gym and, and watch the semifinals. And Saunders is playing, I think it was Sinclair. I think it was Sinclair at the time, a team from Durham. And, and we watched Saunders just beat. And we're like, wow, like this is crazy. Two London teams are playing for the offset championship. And it was, Saunders got the better of us that year. It's, a, it's still a bit of a sour taste in my mouth. But it was just like, at that point, we started to realize, like, wow, like, London is becoming a, a pretty strong city for volleyball. Amazing. Yeah, I didn't realize you guys actually played in an offset final because I think, do, would you know, are they competing at the same level of offset or is Saunders quad A and Oak Ridge was mostly triple A until they made that switch a few years ago? Yeah, so at that time, we were quad A with Saunders. And then it kind of sucked because the next year, so obviously both of us had medaled, so two teams from offset, or from our WASA division, we're going to uh, to go again. And we're once again, we're like, okay, well, just both Oak Ridge and Saunders will go because no other team is really competing with us. And Oak Ridge had, uh, had, at that time, Oak Ridge had finally been downgraded to AAA. But we had the option to stay. We could either go with that AAA label and we would go to AAA offset, or we could keep that quad A label as volleyball and compete for the quad A offset. And I remember like sitting down with a meeting. I was the captain at the time and our coaches call us in. They're like, hey, we have this decision to make and blah, blah, blah. And to me, I was like, there's no way I'm backing down from Saunders. Like, this is going to sound like a cop out if we go to AAA. I'm like, I want to go quad A. This is what we're doing. And they're like, okay, great. We're doing it. And then two weeks later, I remember they call me back into the office. They're like, so offices changed the tournament from a 20-team tournament down to a 16-team tournament, which means... Only one team from uh, Wasa, our region, is going to go. So now it's going to boil down to who wins city finals between Saunders and, uh, and Oak Ridge. And uh, they're like, we still have the option to de- downgrade to AAA. And I was like, no, I'm not backing down from Saunders. I couldn't do it. And and we went into that city finals, which was like a massive one. And I remember it was just crazy. Like the gym was rammed. Fans were like borderline on the sidelines. Like it was going crazy. And it went to five sets and Saunders took us out in five. It was a heartbreaker, but it was, I remember that as like one of the all time craziest matches uh, in, in my career. Now you, you being an avid listener, you'll know what I'm about to ask right now, but can you just name drop some guys that would have been on your squad and some of the guys across the net that you would have battled against? Yeah. So I actually have a picture in front of me of some of us, so I can get every name correct here. So there was Trevor Vaisler. Um, actually, this is an older photo, so I'm going off of memory here. So there's like <laughs> Trevor Vaisler, Tyler Carey, Mark Laidman, Tom Sterling, Brian Adaman, Brian Kuyak, uh, Franco Mazza. And I think those were the like our big Chris Hayes. Those were, That was kind of our core of our team right there. Um, and then on the Saunders side, I remember it being like Devin Atkinson, Rob Atkinson's son, Sander Ratsap, Greg Nowicki. Derek Estabrooks, Adam, oh, I can't remember his last name right now. Uh, but yeah, they once again, like that finals, there was pretty much between the, the 12 players on the court, there about 10 of them were playing four city club. And 
And just uh, just to kind of go back to the rivalry, I remember one of our games, or like our league play games earlier that year, it got heated again, right? It was a five-setter, and it was like the rivalry was so tense. And we're shaking hands after, and, and Rob Atkinson comes up, and he goes, I think we better cancel four city practice tonight. Like the <laughs> tensions are pretty high. We don't know what's going to go on at this practice. We best just take the night off. Everyone go home, chill, and we'll see everyone on Thursday. So I, I thought that was pretty funny. And it was, it just kind of goes to show like what that rivalry really meant to everyone from Oak Ridge and Saunders. Yeah. Let's, let's jump back to club. So you actually got the opportunity to play for, for Rob and be a part of that Saunders rivalry. So you mentioned just a, a small window into that, that he had the foresight to cancel practice when like things got heated, but was that ever talked about practice or lightly chirped or was he really good about when he's got the four city jacket on being inclusive of you Oak Ridge guys, or did you feel the rivalry even though, cause he was a Saunders guy through and through? No, he was good at shutting it down. He shut it down right away. He was like, you know, like you guys are four city when you're in this gym, you're four city. Yes. There's going to be rivalries outside. Um, but and like, once again, that four city team, I think eight of our players were Overage and Saunders and, and he shut it down right away. And, and he made sure he's like during this season, like you're not wearing your Oak Ridge shirts. You're not wearing your Saunders shirts. Like you're coming in, in neutral shirts to practice. And he was so good at that. And, and he was such a phenomenal people manager and, and just, being so intuitive on that level as to what's going through everyone's minds like it it kept us in check and and once again when we were at practice there was never never any rivalries like sander was my pepper partner and like that like it never changed the fact that we were going against each other earlier in that week it was when we were there for four city we were there for four city now, is there anything that comes to mind about the way he would actually run the squad or run practices that you can tell us about, Rob? Because you and I were talking before the show, like, I, I'm not even sure if Rob knows my name, but every time I see him, I talk to him and try to ask him questions just because he's such a genuine, nice guy. And I, I don't even think I'm the only one who does that to him. Like, I think he's just willing to share stories and give advice and talk to anybody who wants to talk about volleyball, right? So just such a nice, genuine guy. But what was it like being on his squads? Oh, for sure. Like, and, and he is... I would say a lot of people would put him as one of the top coaches in Ontario. And, and now that I've kind of started coaching myself, I find myself constantly asking what would Rob do in this situation? And, and it's tough to answer. Like, I think obviously he had a wealth of knowledge of the game and he was pretty much what everyone does on data volley. Now he's able to do in his head and analyze and see like, Oh, this guy's doing this and this is our best passer. This is our worst passer. Like he was able to kind of compute all of that in his head, but it was, I, I think his biggest thing was he somehow found everyone to play their best games when it mattered. And it really showed because you look at so many of those four city teams that I played on on paper, and this was so true in our grade 11 and grade 12 years, people would say we always overachieved. Even in like my grade 12 year when we won provincials, we knocked off a super talented Mac team that had like Kyle Bryce, Jeremy Grunveld, Adam Pitstaka, Reed Hall, Josh Netterveen, Sean Bench. And, and a lot of those guys were on like the youth and junior national team at the time. And, and we knocked them off. So like Rob just found a way to make you always play your heart out. And it was, uh, I wish I knew how to do it. Like that's the key question, but he, he always found a way. And I think throughout my, all the years I've had him, I've heard him yell once and, and that was it. He just, he was almost like a, the type of parent that was like, you know what? I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed you guys aren't playing well right now. And <laughs> you went for water break and you came back and you were busting your ass. And it was like, I wish I could t 
tell you how he did it, but it's you have to pick his brain. He was a he was a guru about it, all of it. Now I'm curious with your own progression as a player. Like you you mentioned like when you started playing volleyball, you were happy to make the team and you enjoyed just going to practice, being around your buddies, and it was fun. So did it ever get competitive for you, or did you always have that spirit that like volleyball was super fun? You're going to keep working on your skills, and you enjoy being in the gym. Or now that you were part of like this strong Oak Ridge team, and your club teams were very competitive, like did this get super serious for you, or did you always kind of have that joy about you when you were playing volleyball? I mean, for sure, I like I had always loved playing volleyball, and I started taking it competitively, but I had still always loved playing it, and I think that was super instrumental to my development and, and I try to keep that in mind as I'm coaching kids these days because I'm I, I attribute so much of my success to hey I just loved showing up to practice I loved playing the game and yes I took it competitively and I worked harder throughout my years but I it always boiled down to I love being here and I and I loved going to practice and if you had an option to give me another practice session I would take it but it was around like my my grade 10 year was when um so now we were the oldest age group. I think it was the 16 under, 16 and under. So now we were the oldest age group. And I had I had squeaked my way onto the A team for that. And that was the team that was getting coached by Rob Atkinson. And and I was uh, the backup middle. I think it was the third middle uh, on the on the roster. And in my set mindset, I was always like, okay, like I, I got to get better than this guy. I got to get better than the M2. Like that's my goal. I'm getting better than you because I want to play. I want to play. And, and by the end of the year, I had like solidified myself as, as that second middle and, and on the starting roster. And then our next year in the grade 11 year, we're now the youngest of the, the two age groups. So we're 17, trying out for the same team as the 18-year-olds. And once again, squeaked my way onto that A team and was now the third middle again. And same thing. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to be a starter. Like, I got to get better than this guy. I got to get better than this guy. I got to get better than this guy. And sure enough, by the end of the year, it was I had taken that starting spot from him and earned my my place on the court when it was crunch time. See, that's super interesting. I didn't even know you were a middle because obviously meeting you first on the beach scene, obviously you could play beach at a super high level and pass and set and do all that stuff. And obviously at Western, I think you were an outside your whole career. So when did you really start to focus on being an outside hitter? Actually, uh, at Western, so my even at Western, I think I had played every position at one point. So it was like in my grade 12 year, I, I was still playing middle and some schools were actually recruiting me as a middle. And I kind of knew myself. I was like, listen, I, I know I'm kind of undersized to be a middle. I'm only six, four. Um, I'm succeeding in club because I'm quick. I close blocks. Well, I read the, the opposing side and, and I'm really crafty on like my attacks running 31 61s. But for me to succeed at that next level, I was like, I, I got to move out of the middle. And, and that actually kind of, made my was instrumental in my decision to go to Western because I, I Queens was trying to recruit me as a middle. And I was like, that's kind of setting me up for failure. And Western at the time had just lost uh, Pete Sidler had just graduated, who was their go-to right side. So I kind of saw that. I was like, you know what, this is a bit of an opening. Like I can go in there and compete. And um, I had played a bit of right side uh, at Oak Ridge during like grades nine, grade 10, a little bit. So I kind of, I took that opportunity and I actually started at Western as a right side. And then just the way things were shaking up in my second year, we uh, we were starting to lose some of our left side players. So I, I trained all summer to get my passing up. Like I, I had never passed all through club really. And and then that was, uh, I kind of made that tr- transition to left side. And, and then in my third year, 
the the opposite happened where we had recruited a bunch of left sides and we actually had some transfers that came to our school. So we were loaded with four good left sides. And, and I remember Sage had a chat with me beginning of the year, like, listen, for us to get our best players on the court, we think we got to put you at middle. And, and so I started that and I, I remember telling Sage, I was like, Sage, I would rather battle against all four of them for left side, but I, I agree. I think like we need to give this a try. And, and so we did it. And the first half of the season, it wasn't working out really well. And, and I kind of told Sage, I was like, Sage, put me back at left side. Like, I think like I'm starting to kind of feel myself as like this player who kind of, who can arise to the go-to role and be there in a crunch. And, and then we made that switch and, I think we had some success in some early games when we did that, and I think that's what stuck for us for the rest of the year. And ever since then, I'd kind of been that left side. Nice, nice. Before we take a deep dive into that Western stuff, there is just a, a one thing I want to follow up with club. And again, you and I were just talking before the show, some pretty big rivalries. Like you had the high school rivalry, but you mentioned that Mac team you would have played in club. And also Bronte Beach and Durham were quite strong in your age group too. So what was your experience with club? Because you very talented age group, right? So what was it like going to tournaments and playing against top guys that you mentioned? Mac had some junior national team guys or provincial team guys, like very deep age groups. So what was the club experience like as far as those rivalries and, and playing for medals at your level uh, in the OVA system? Yeah, I mean, once again, for me, I feel like our, our grade nine and grade 10 years, the two teams to beat were Durham and Brawny. And Durham had... Pat Johnson, Matt Brooks, um, those are the only two names that kind of stick out in my head right now. Um, I think Chris Graham was there, but I, I, I still chat with those guys, and Pat's obviously a really good friend of mine. And and they had so much success because I think they were one of the first teams, especially at like, we were 14 or 15 years old, and Pat and Matt Brooks were their tallest players, and they were kind of one of the first teams that said, no, we're going to move you guys to left side, and we're not going to leave you in the middle. and they were, I think that year they actually won every tournament they ever played in. I, I think Pat still has a signed ball that's a 72 and 0 or something. And Braun A was always second and we were always kind of flirting with some other teams for that bronze medal. So the rivalry kind of started in those grade nine and grade 10 years and carried on through grade 11 and grade 12. We started to catch up to Durham. Uh, and then I, Braun A eventually merged with that Mac squad and, that was when uh, Reed and Pitstaka went to that team. And I think they picked up some other guys with like Sean Bench and Kyle Bryce and Jeremy Grunveld. And they became that uh, like a super team for that age group. And we were lucky to, to squeak off a, a big provincial championship win uh, against them in our home gym at Fanshawe. Amazing. Yeah. So you mentioned Queens was on your radar. Obviously, being a London guy, Western was probably on your radar as well. What else went into your recruiting? You mentioned the position was going to be a big thing. Were you looking to stay closer to home? Were you looking to really focus on your studies? Like, what was the the tipping point that made you lock in on Western over some other schools you were looking at? It was actually funny. Like, I did Western was pretty late to come on my recruiting radar, and I think, and actually, if you had asked me in grade eleven, I was like, I'm not going to Western. Like, I don't want to stay home, and and. Um, I, it, it was tough because I'm a, I'm kind of a pessimistic guy. So when coaches are coming to me and telling me how great everything is, I'm kind of like, yeah, what's, so what's the, what's the downside? Like what's the, the small print here? And um, so I'd kind of, I took everything they would say with a grain of salt and I would kind of go do my own research, see how they finished last year. And, but for me, like I, I knew volley I, at that point, I didn't think volleyball was going to be a, a path that I would go to after 
uh, university. So academics was still one of the major things I was driving where my selection was going to take me. And uh, I was I was looking for an engineering program and I needed to have a school that had a reputable one that, you know, when you graduate with that degree, I can actually get a job and I can actually uh, you live, make a living and, and prosper after. Nice, nice. And you did bring up one name. I think he may have graduated, but did you ever cross paths with Pete Sidler? He got a big shout out during the Hinchy episode, just being the, the type of leader that Eddie coach or Eddie team would love to have. So did you interact with him at all? Or, or was there someone else who stood out in your recruiting trip that helped you convince that Western was going to be the spot for you? So yeah, so Pete, uh, Pete had graduated before I came, but the summer when I was about to go into first year and the summer when he had just finished graduation, he was still training in London because he was planning to go pro overseas. So Sage had, after I had committed to West, I think I had committed to Western at this point already, but Sage had, you know, let me go into the weight room and stuff and, and, you know, had open gyms at Western and Pete was always there and Pete would always take me into the weight room. And, and even though this, like, he was just such a genuine guy and Hinchy hit the nail on the head, just like such a lead by example type guy, the hardest working, like we would finish a two hour open gym session and he'd be like, hey, Simon, you want to go down to the weight room with me? And I was like, uh, yeah, OK. Like, you know, when Pete Sidler asks you to do something, you just go and do it. <laughs> so and and I remember being in the weight room and and Sage had given me the uh, kind of the workout plan they had for the year. And just so many times I'm going up to Pete. I'm like, hey, Pete, what's a clean? He's like, oh, you got to do this, this and this. I'm like, oh, OK. And like I would just walk away and I would try to do it. And sure enough, he's like, Hey, you're doing it wrong. Like you got to try to work on this. And and he would just kind of keep on putting his own workout on hold to make sure I'm doing stuff correctly, even though we're, we weren't even going to be teammates. And that was just the type of guy he was. So he was, um, he was definitely very helpful in my process. And, and even while he was at Western, like, I think we started that in grade 12, we finally started kind of going and checking out some of the Western games and watching him play. It was just like an inspiration. You're like, wow, this guy is a phenom on the court. And it was just kind of that to see that next level of ball. You're like, wow, like that's kind of what I want to do. That's what I want to be like. And just my last sort of funny Pete Siddler story is I remember. Uh, so my first year, my very first game, it's at Laurier. And in that week kind of leading up, Sage sort of told me, hey, you're going to be the starter. Um, and and Siddler was the right side that had just graduated. And Sage kind of mentioned. So, you know, obviously, you're not going to fill his shoes right away. But, you know, we expect you to to get there pretty quickly and, you know, start to fill that gap that's lost. And, you know, it, it was motivation. It's like, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And we're, we're game planning for Laurier and we hand out the stats and all the stuff from last year because it's the first game of the year. There's no video or anything. And I'm looking at the stats from last year and it sticks out to me, Pete Sidler. And he goes 18 kills on 19 sets with no errors and something stupid like a 96% efficiency. And, and I'm kind of just like, well, this is the guy I'm getting measured against now. So that was uh, also a testament to just how good he was in his in his final year. Amazing. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And, and one other name I want to follow up on is just Jim Sage. And you, and you hinted a little bit that you had a say, or at least he was going to listen to you when you said, like, you know what, this middle experiment's not working, like, give me a chance to go on the outside. So Jim's obviously open to having these conversations. But what was your relationship like with him? Because I think he gets 
you know, ribbed a little bit in the volleyball community about sometimes, you know, he brings in assistant coaches who might be running practice or Jim might be hands off or he might be this or that. But the, the guy's competitive and the guy's won a lot of big games for Western and had guys like you and Garrett May come through. So what was your experience like? And give us kind of the inside scoop that shows that, you know, Jim's the real deal and he's he's got a competitive program going. For sure. I mean, I think... Like, obviously, like, I think every player at some point complains about their coach, especially when you have them for four or five years. And and even when I talk to some of my friends now from other schools, like you hear them, you know, oh, I hated it when my coach did this. But the the comparison I make is you look at a football sideline, like there is an offensive coach, a defensive coach, a quarterback coach, a wide receiver coach. Like these head coaches are surrounding themselves with people who have knowledge to help fill in gaps where they might not. and. I think where Sage lacked a little bit of the volleyball knowledge, such as being able to give technical feedback, he was able to fill those holes with like Rob Atkinson helped out for a couple of years and then Jeff Wheeler and Jesse Mighton and then Pedlo came after I was gone. But Sage was just, I felt like he was a good people manager. Like he was able to make sure you were happy to be there. And, and I think he saw the big picture of, you know, volleyball is not a a sport necessarily where you can likely leave and, and make a major living like uh, like a football or a basketball or a hockey and you know you, you're at university it's going to be one of the best times of your life so yes we're going to take volleyball seriously but I'm not going to make it your only focus while you're here and that kind of gave you some freedom to say like hey I got I'm getting rammed with school and then all these exams and I'm kind of failing like I need to take a practice off to do some homework and you were able to kind of do that a little bit more and and, ha- and have that understanding that it's probably not going to come back to bite you by being benched for the next three weeks. Nice, nice. Yeah, and one thing that Garrett and Hinchy will talked about is the Western teams always have this brotherhood thing. So let me know how either Jim contributes to that or how he empowers like leaders like yourself or Hinchy or, or Pete Siddler to kind of come in and, and build the culture. Cause it's one thing to give people autonomy, but it's one thing for this to, to always happen. So it's gotta be part of the plan there at Western. Like how did you feel going from a rookie to a leader? Like how do they include everybody and make sure that everybody's having, like you said, a good time on and off the court, that it is a family environment there. I, I mean, it started way before it must've started way before I was even there because from the second I kind of came there, like some of the most senior players are making you feel welcomed right away. And if there's a party there, you know, it's pretty much told, said in the locker room, Hey, we're having a party at our place. Everyone's welcome. Everyone comes. And if, like everyone would show up, like our entire team would show up. And it basically kind of became like, that was your social circle. And, and I know for me, like when I like going to university, it was, you know, being kind of nervous, like, oh my God, like I'm leaving so many of my friends in high school. Like it was so refreshing and so kind of just eased your worries. Like after practice number one, when they're like, hey, we're having a major party. Come on, rookies, you're coming. And it was just, it was so welcoming right from day one. And when you have veteran players doing that to you, you just kind of naturally do that to the generation that's coming in behind you. And and yeah, it was it was like a massive family, and and even to this day, like some of those guys are, are my closest friends, and and he, and you look at my wedding, and the majority of the players there were players that I had played, or the majority of the people there were players that I had played volleyball with. Amazing, amazing, yeah. And how do you feel your own performance changed? Because I didn't realize that you basically played every position when you're there at Western, but it's not easy to be an OUA first team All Star. You did that twice. It's not easy to be an All Canadian, and you were a second team there in the CIS. So. 
were you always kind of building towards being the man or how did you try to take your development? Like, were you looking at playing pro or was there again, like a switch that happened during your university career where you realized that you could be like one of the higher end players in Canada? I mean, I think it kind of goes back to the the mentality I had throughout the club where I had kind of singled out as an individual and I was like, okay, I want to get better than you. I want to get better than you. And at that point it was, you know, someone who was starting over me, but then once I had kind of put myself on a volleyball court and, and, and now I was a starter, I'd look at someone who's also on the court with me and I'd say, you're our go-to player right now. I want to get better than you because I want to be that player. I want to be that guy. And so it, it had always like throughout my entire career, I was always like focusing on an individual and saying, I got to get better than you. I got to get better than you. And then at some point I'm starting to look on other teams and I'm like, okay, this guy, you know, he's now like one of the top players in the OUA. I got to get better than you. I got to get better than you. I got to get better than you. Is there a rivalry that you really enjoyed in the OUA? Because one thing I thought was funny when we had Kat Siofis on the show is we both kind of agreed that a lot of people may think they're Western's rival just because not a lot of people like Western or they really enjoy playing against them as a school. But who would you kind of view as like, that was a game you always look forward to or one that you knew was going to be a tough matchup? Queens. Queens, without a question. Name drop for me. Who was on some of those Queens teams that you were battling with? Oh, man. Well, Pedlo, obviously, and Sam was my age, so um, he had kind of been there through all five years. Um, Adam Simak was there when I first started. Jeff Demiza, Brian Faultley, Joran Zeman, um, Danny Rosenbaum. Those were kind of... Uh, the guys that I was competing against uh, season over season from Queens. And yeah, it was, and I really have no idea where the rivalry came from. I, and to be honest, I think it was something similar to our whole family aspect where when I got there, the veterans are pretty much saying like, we hate Queens. Like this is our big game. And so it was like, okay, like that stuck with me. And, and that kind of mindset just rolls down from year over year. And, uh, and yeah, we always, we always had that game. That game was always circled on the calendar, both at home and down in Kingston. So when Pedlo finished his education with Western and started working with the Ben's varsity team, did he have to win anybody over or smooth some things out or, or was he welcome as soon as he stepped in the team room? Well, I mean, if I was there, he definitely would have had to win some people over, but uh, he came, (laughs) he came after me. And from what I, from what I know from people I talked to, like he, he was just happy to be around volleyball and, and, you know, the right, like we're all volleyball players. We're all friends off the court for the most part. I think he took it uh, pretty professionally and and he was able to help a lot of the guys, especially the middles. I know a lot of the middles from that Western group attribute a lot of their development to Sam and what he had helped them with uh, while they were there. Now this might be a sore spot and we can just edit it out, but this is like the hard hitting journalism that we have to, you know, do if we're going to be a real volleyball show. But your last year, I believe you guys are up two nothing on Queens in the final four and that (coughs) one slipped away, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that last year, there was a few stings for me because I know we were on fire. Like, we were feeling good even before the year started. Like, I remember guys like Pat Johnson and Reed uh, and Matt Poulin and myself. We were like, that summer, we were talking. We are like, we have a really good shot next year to win it all. And, and we were off to that start. We were 13-1. and one. We were flying. We had only lost to Mac in a really close one. And then... Uh, I had landed on my setter's foot and pretty much blew my ankle out. And I like when I went into physio, they're like, yeah, we don't like there was I think there was six games left. So three weeks, four weeks left in the season. 
and I'm like, hey, like, am I going to be able to play in the OUA finals? And it's in four weeks from now. And they kind of laughed. They're like, not a chance. Like, your ankle's toast. And so, like, I kind of took that. I was like, screw you guys. Like, I'm absolutely playing. Like, I'm going to find a way to play. And, and I was in the physio every day just rehabbing, rehabbing. And I was, like, literally missing classes to, to go to physio and rehab. I would be in there for about two hours a day for most. And... I think my first game back was that Queens game. So I, I know it's, you know, I hate to be one to make excuses, but we were definitely not at a full strength team, but yeah, it was a, it was a stinger and it was a, it was a shitty way to go out being up, uh, being up two and then having them come back and win three straight. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because it's definitely not an excuse, but I remember watching that game and yeah, you could tell that there was some discomfort going on there. And as the match kind of went on, you could see that you were struggling a little bit. So how did you deal with that? You mentioned skipping class and, and just being like locked in on it. But I, I think for somebody at your level, injuries can sometimes affect your identity, right? So were you still trying to go to practice and working those physio points around so you could still be in the gym or were you still around the team supporting them? Like how did you kind of navigate that journey where you, you couldn't contribute on the court? What were you still doing around the, around the squad? Yeah, I was, I was at every practice. Um, I was in crutches for the first couple of weeks. And then I think eventually I would just kind of do some standing passing. But yeah, I had always, and, and, and this actually takes me back to, I remember a game that we were playing against Guelph and um, it, it was in my fifth year. So I was kind of like, uh, you know, my expectation was, Eric, you got to put up like 15 to 25 points and, and be a, a solid offensive threat for us. And I was just shitting the bet. Like I was, I was God awful. I was getting blocked. I was hitting balls out. And, and I still, and I say this to players I coach now, I'm like, find another way to contribute. Like, what else can I do to help our team succeed? And so I had just like, I dialed in on my passing. I'm like, I got to pass perfect balls so our setter can run middle. So he doesn't have to set me. And our middles uh, at that time, like Phil James and Matt Wade, I think were some of the best in the OUA. And thank God my passing was on. Cause I was just, I was like, I'm going to take half the court. I'm going to pass this perfectly so we can just run middle and, and we can get out of here. And, and I kind of rolled that mentality over to when I was injured. I'm like, what can I do? Like every time a player scores a point when I'm unable to be out there myself, like that's a win for the team. So I'm going to do everything I can to make sure Reed can pass a perfect ball or I can make sure that bones can score on this kill. And that's really just encouragement, right? Like just encouraging them making them feel positive and, and not worrying about any errors that come about. And I was just, I just became the, the team's biggest cheerleader at that point. And I was like, this is what I got to do until I can actually be on the court and make a difference on the scoreboard. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that one. And I think this is around the same timeline, but you were also a beach provincial team guy when you were in university, I believe, or might've been just after, but you kind of showed some dedication there where I think you were the guy who traveled the most. Like, I think you would stay in a hotel and go to these training camps that were going to be in Toronto and was Hubbard, maybe the coach or Jason or was helping out. But just tell me about that experience where you're taking this dive into beach, but it's not like most of the people who grew up in the GTA and Ashford is like home base for them. You're ended up having to like arrive early on Friday night, stay over and, and kind of grind it out that way. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think it was actually like, to be honest, once again, it was my mom who just threw me in. She's like, I'm signing up for this. You're going. I was like, okay. And <laughs> I had never really played beach. Like there, there was no beach community in London at that time. Sean Furneaux and Dave Cousins hadn't started the BVA yet. There was, there was no beach courts in London. Like if you wanted to play beach in London, you were traveling 
40 minutes to Grand Ben or, or to Port Stanley, and you better have had your own net because there was no poles to set it up or anything like that. So, um, so yeah, my mom had signed me up, and, and I had went there, and I was lucky enough to get partnered with a pretty good player. You might have heard of him, Sam Schachter. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I think he, uh, he might have been pretty early on in his career as well because I was in third year at the time, so I think he was in first year. He was just a rookie. I like to say like I was the one that catapulted his career, but obviously <laughs> that's not the case. Um, but, yeah, I was playing there, and I, I started to really enjoy beach um, for a couple of reasons. One, like the whole argument of not being tall enough was kind of thrown out the window. And I felt like I was, because I had played all those positions, left side, middle, right side, I felt like I had become a very well-rounded player. And, and beach, obviously, you know from coaching it, you got to be well-rounded. You got to be able to do everything. And and so I think that was why I was able to have a little bit of success early on and, and why I fell in love with it right away. I was like, hey, this this fits what I love about the game. Like, you got to be able to do everything and you can't just, you can't have a weakness. And that just kind of drove me to really appreciate the sport and, and want to play it more. And did that ever kind of go into your decision? Because obviously you would go on to play pro indoor, but you played beach at a, at a- pretty high level and I remember you and Aaron Nossbaum going serious one summer and and getting some good results like did you ever consider beach over indoor or when you went professional like you knew it was going to be on the indoor side yeah I mean I, I think it was around that time when I played with Sam um, we had Jason Hubbard as our provincial team coach but Leonard was just coming in as as the national team coach and and he was I believe at that time he was starting to want people to moved to Toronto to be able to train year round. And, and Sam, obviously I'm pretty sure Sam made that decision to go. Um, but to me, I was kind of like, mm, no, like indoors, my number one. And I really kind of saw it. Um, I, I just thought I had more of a future in indoor, right? I, I loved beach. I, I can, I such a huge passion for it. But to me, I was kind of like, I have a better future in indoor and, I'm not really at the point where I want to leave what I have at Western to to move to Toronto and just train beach full time. Now, everybody kind of has a, a unique experience of how they got the pro deal. So I'm curious, how did you eventually land in Sweden? Like, did you have an agent on your radar? Did, was there any vets either from Western or in the OUA that kind of told you, you know, this is the steps you're going to need to take to go play overseas? Or how did it really come together for you to get that first pro deal? Uh, yeah, it was really just like, uh, I had an agent and he went out and, and found me one and it was, uh, it was something I was like, yep, perfect. I, I kind of just jumped at the first one I had. I was like, I don't care. Like, I, I just want to play volleyball. And, and this has kind of always been a, a dream of mine come, uh, later on in my university career, I'd always, I'd started to believe that this was something that was a possibility. Um, and I was like, you know what, it'd be so amazing just to, to have to do nothing but focus on volleyball for your your entire life. Because, you know, like when you're at club and in university, it's like, I got to do volleyball, oh, but I also got to do this homework and I also got to prep for this exam. But I was like, man, I, could you imagine just a life where you wake up and all you got to worry about is volleyball? You go to sleep and all you got to worry about is volleyball. And I was kind of like, that's that sounds pretty awesome. So that was what wanted me to, uh, to really want to go overseas and, and continue playing. And then, uh, got my deal in Sweden and went back for a second year just cause I was like, yeah, this is so much fun. Let's do it again. 
so did it meet your expectations? Because there are some horror stories from some people saying like, you have way more free time than you expected. When you're losing, it's not that much fun. The time zone difference makes it hard to connect with people at home. Or were you really enjoying like the lifestyle and being in Sweden as a country and the league was everything you needed? Like, uh, was it the, the expectations met or was there a little bit of like, oh, this isn't the life I thought it would be being a pro athlete? Yeah, actually, I do have one correction. So I had another offer from a place in Qatar. But when I told that to my mom, she's like, not a chance. Like, you're going to be, it's, it's an, you know, you don't know what you're going to get over there. And she kind of guided me away from that and, and going to a country like Sweden. And it's, uh, and I, oh, I can't remember. I think I asked Pete Sidler about it. And, and he was like, yeah, pretty sure. Cause I had heard the horror stories of people not getting paid as well. And, and he kind of, I think he guided me on that saying, yeah, like you're, you're like what they tell you, they're going to pay you, you're going to get. And, um, when I went there, like, to be honest, like, as I mentioned before, it's, it'll be so awesome to wake up and just have to worry about volleyball. When your team starts losing, it becomes really tough on you mentally. And and kind of experienced that in um, in that year a little bit where you, you go on like a four-game losing streak. You don't have those other aspects of your life. You don't necessarily have that social life to say, oh, like, you know, I'm, at least I'm going to go hang out with my friends. You don't have that school life to say, oh, at least I got an A on my last paper. It's really you're living and breathing the results your team's putting up every week. But I lived with some awesome guys. I lived with two Americans at that time, uh, Kyle Masterson and Dan Fabry. And we like because we were close and, and we got along so well, like you can't under understate how important they were to just your sanity while you're out there. Because, yeah, I, I could see how it would be a horror story. And I think all of us said at the end of the year, like, man, I'm really glad you guys were here with me for this, because if I was in this apartment by myself, yeah, it would be a much different story and it could have been a much tougher experience. Now, is it fair to say that most people from Sweden, they speak English really well? Like, did your coach speak English? Like, was there any trouble communicating with the other teammates? Like, it's cool to hear that you had some North Americans on your squad, but could you get along with the other guys who are maybe a little bit more foreign than we're used to? Yeah, I think that's what also made the transition easy was Sweden is, I'd say it's very similar to, to Canada. The weather is very similar. The food is very similar. And, and English is a very common knowledge where if you were ever lost in the city, you could ask someone and they would pretty much understand you and could help you out. So it was a, a huge benefit to have those. Um, and in fact, a lot of the people involved in the team enjoyed talking to us in English because I think they actually have English, like similar to how we have French as one of our mandatory kind of curriculums coming through school, I think they had English. So a lot of them enjoyed talking to us in English because it was a chance for them to brush up on it and for them to to kind of work on those. So yeah, practices, our coaches were able to communicate with us in English. There was no no issues there. We didn't need a translator or anything. Uh, the toughest part is was if you were ever driving because you're looking at street signs and some of them wouldn't even have a vowel in it and just to even like try to give directions to someone it's like how do you even pronounce this word to tell them to turn on that street so there was a few times where we got lost in Stockholm and we got lost in our own town but uh, those are those are experiences that uh, it's kind of fun to navigate your way out of yeah yeah definitely and if I have my timeline correct I think you experienced another injury right did you go through some shoulder problems when you were overseas yeah so my second year playing um, once again was uh, I think I enjoyed it even better because once again, great group of guys that I was living with. Um, and we actually kind of started to travel that year, but 
yeah, towards the end of that year was when the shoulder was really on its way out. And, and I think that was when I was like, okay, you know what? The body's starting to break down. The volume that's required for a, a professional overseas career is just, it's kind of starting to wear on me. And, and yeah, the shoulder was wearing down. And, and that's when I came back and had uh, had another beach season with Aaron, actually partnered up with Aaron and would just still love the game. And he took a risk on this indoor guy who really doesn't have much serious beach experience, but um, Aaron was so well known on the beach. So I was the guy getting served. I was the responsible for siding out probably 80, 90% of the balls and uh, not having that beach experience. I didn't, I didn't know what these high line or cut shots were. I knew how to hit the ball. So I was hitting <laughs> line and cross the entire summer. And uh, by the end of that summer, the shoulder was, it was on its last leg. So yeah, I had to go in for shoulder surgery. Yeah, and what was that rehab like? Because I think, I, again, my timeline must be a little bit off, but uh, obviously when the One Volleyball League started, you were one of the guys in that league, and I think you even play in their tournament series with a bunch of Western alumni guys. So I don't think you were away from volleyball very long, right? Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think it was. So I had, well, two things happened. So I, I had that surgery in October, and uh, the surgeon was pretty confident that I was going to be able to play beach again come the summer. So I had kind of told Aaron, like, yeah, I'm supposed to be good to go for the summer. Um, I did a lot of rehab. Actually, Sam Pedlo was one of my therapists, <laughs> funny enough. Um, so he was helping rehab me uh, while he was treating. And I don't think he was had gotten back into beach at this point yet. So he was treating me. And um, come that summer, the, the shoulder just wasn't ready um yet like I could I could stand I could throw I could stand and throw I could stand and hit but for whatever reason the second I was in the air there was too much instability that it wasn't ready so uh, I was unable to play that summer um but then come like October so now a full 12 months after the shoulder was feeling well again and actually I had Hinchy had called me up to go play against his Durham college team round up a few guys and go play up against his uh, his Durham college team and I ended up tearing my Achilles up there. So once again, just pretty much like two major back-to-back injuries. And and that Achilles recovery was a much more difficult one than the shoulder. But I think a, another year and a half after that, I was now starting to play in those one volleyball leagues and, and the tournaments again. So it had really been about a, you know, a two and a half year hiatus from volleyball. Wow, I completely forgotten about the Achilles one, and that's definitely a gnarly one to try to come back from. But just just to fast forward a little bit, was one volleyball enough to fill the void? Because I, I think the the league is is playing at a super high level. But like I said, even the tournament series for you to put together like a Western alumni team and play against some other guys, those are at a high level, right? So with you working full time, is that kind of filled the void to give you that competitive outlet and still feel like you're playing at a high level? Yeah, I mean, I feel. After I tore my Achilles, I was kind of like, I'm done with volleyball. And I feel like many players can attest to this. Like, it seems like you retire four or five times just because <laughs> you, you give it up for a bit and then you get that itch again. You get that itch and it's like, I got to come back. I got to come back. So that's exactly what had happened to me. And it happened to me quite a few times. There's, I can't count how many times I said, you know what, I'm done. There's too much aches and pains on the body. But uh, yeah, that, that one volleyball league, when I that first tournament that came up, um, I think it was in March was it was just such a blast to play in and for me just rounding up a group of guys that you used to play with before or you used to play against and, and to go out there and 
and compete against young guys that are still in university, it's so much fun to just kind of be like, hey, we still got it. Like, you guys aren't the kings yet. Like, we still got it. We're still hanging around. And we won that first one, which was great because it's always it's just such a winning is such a great feeling. It was a, an addiction for me. So going back and playing in those tournaments was, was a lot of fun and they were competitive. Like they would get a lot of uh, players that used to play at such a high level university and even some pro and they're going to those tournaments and they're playing in that league in the summer. Amazing, man. Well, I'm just looking at the clock and I kind of promised you an hour. You kind of know the drill though. We like to end every episode with just a funny story because even though you've played at the highest level of our sport, something unique or odd or hilarious had to have happened with uh, with your career. So I was wondering if you'd give me and the listeners just a story before we let you go. Yeah, sure. So uh, it was tough to kind of think of one, but uh, we were out in Sweden and I can't remember if it was a weekend off or, or the season had ended, but um, we're talking with, with the coaches and some of the other players on the team and they're kind of saying, hey, we're going to go little bit up north and have just like a nice barbecue out out at this cabin and the terrain where we were living it was kind of like a Muskoka area where we were going so um we're going out there and it's not the Muskokas where it's like everyone has these massive houses it's like cabins no electricity no water like true kind of cabin lifestyle so we're driving out there and we're on like this dirt road and we're turning down this kind of long driveway through the middle of the forest. And, and it has those like a gate and the gates open. So we're following our, our coach's car and some of the other players in front of us. And we're driving in the team van and I got our, uh, the other Americans I'm playing with and, and some of the girls that are friends with our team. And, and all of a sudden these two like army guys, full camo come out of the woods one of them's carrying like an assault rifle. Another guy's got a handgun and they point them at the guy's car in front of us, our coach's car in front of us. They uh, open the passenger side door, throw one of the guys out. And I'm like looking, we're like, what is going on? Like, oh my God, the girls are freaking out in the back. And and we see the, the army guy or the guy who's in the full camo hop into the passenger seat. And he's, we can see through the back window, he's pointing the gun at our coach, the driver. And he starts driving and the girls are screaming like, get out of here, back up, back up. We're like, we can't just leave them. Like, they're going to kill them. We're like, call 911. And they're like, what's 911? And we're like, oh my God, like, what are we doing? So like, we're just kind of deer in headlights at the time. And we start like driving forward slowly to follow this car because we're like, we can't just leave this guy here and get killed. And we, we turn the corner and they're just like on the ground dying of laughter. And we're like, what? And the girls in the backseat, they start laughing so hard. And they're like, April fools. Cause it was like April 1st. And we're like the us and the Americans, we're just sitting there. We're like, you guys are sick. Like, this is sadistic. Like this is not an April fools joke. Like you put sugar in my coffee or something. That's an April fools joke, not a, a fake stick up. So that was like, we, our hearts were just in our throats and racing. And it was like, it was crazy. And, and we get out and turns out, uh, obviously, the, the guys that were in full camo were friends of the, the team, but they, they were actually in the military and they were actual real guns there <laughs> that we eventually just kind of shot off into the woods later. So it turned out to be a fun day, but oh my God, just like the feeling when you saw them come out of the bushes, it was like, this is where I'm going to die. I'm <laughs> going to die in Sweden. 
I can't believe that. Where they're all like, "Oh, we got you so good." How else would you react to that situation? That's so yeah, crazy. I know. It was like we're just like you guys are sick. Like these April Fool's jokes are nuts. And we actually heard of what. Uh, so one of the girls that was in our car was actually the girlfriend of the coach. And apparently, what she did to him for April Fools was she had like tied herself up and like put fake blood all over the apartment and made it look like she was beaten to death for his <laughs> April Fools joke. I'm like, you guys are messed up. Like this is so. If you ever go to Sweden on April Fools, look out because they take it seriously. They don't mess around. Oh man! Well, like you said, there was some cultural stuff there you got to experience. So at least it's funny to look back now. But yeah, I'd be going insane if that happened. Yeah, it was. It was just kind of like guys, too far. Like you got to know a line. Well, man, thanks for for you know coming on the show. I, I may have uh, froze you out a little bit. We should have got you on when we were still in the single digits, maybe, but. Uh, never too late and it was great to hear about your career and everything else you got going on hopefully we're back to coaching club soon and can see you playing in the one volleyball league but for now thanks for filling us in on your career and telling some great stories yeah it'd be great um don't forget all the accolades two-time uh all canadian and oua player of the year josh (sighs) you're just a hard guy to find i I didn't do enough google searching so maybe i'll edit it out maybe i'll leave it maybe maybe who knows (laughs) well man congrats it's been great to hear about everything Thanks so much for having me, Josh. And, and just wanted to say thanks so much for, for just creating this podcast. Anything that gets more volleyball content out there is just great for the sport and great for growing it uh, across the country and across the world. You're, I always say you're kind of like the Joe Rogan of the volleyball world. So thanks so much.